the International Church of Vilnius, and for those of you who celebrate, happy 4th of July. It's good to see you all this morning. As we begin our service this morning, may our hearts be warmed by the memory of God's faithfulness, the comfort of his presence, and the hope of the life to come through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is hymn number 412, Be Thou My Vision, if you would stand and sing, please. Let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways 
to the, the glory, glory of your name. Amen. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song will we praise our God. Our responsive psalm reading is from Psalm 123. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Our second hymn this morning is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Hymn 68. First scripture reading comes from Ezekiel chapter 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised, to me, raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the Lord, Sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen, listen or fail to listen, they are, they, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them. Or their words, do not be afraid. Though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll which he enrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Gospel reading comes from Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the, disciple, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. Thank you, Michael. Uh, this passage that will be uh, in this morning from Ezekiel is about his calling, about his calling as a prophet. And I think as we read it, it gives us a description, maybe for our own lives, of how we fall, why we stay down, how we can get up, and what God is going to do in our lives. Why we fall, why we stay down, how we get up, and what God is to do in our lives as Christians. He starts, he starts by saying in verse 1 of Ezekiel chapter 2, Son of man, which is, you may have heard this before and it sounds familiar, and it's because Jesus uses this phrase repeatedly of himself. And he gets it from this, this passage in Ezekiel of someone who is sent by God to do a particular thing. Jesus sees himself as a fulfillment of this. But before Jesus, there was Ezekiel, this picture of a prophet that God is calling, and this is what God says to him. Son of man, stand up on your feet. At the end of chapter 1, Ezekiel sees this vision of God, and it puts him on the ground in the awe or the majesty of God, maybe in his own sense of inadequacy or sin or whatever people feel when they see something grand or inspiring, the ultimate thing, when he sees God, it puts him on his, on his, on his face. But notice that he says, stand up on your feet. He was face down. And it says, as he spoke, the Spirit of God came upon him, the power of God. From the New Testament perspective, it's the gift or the Spirit of Christ in us, the ability to, to live as God would have us. But notice that the Spirit of God here gives him power. It came upon him and it allowed him to be raised. Now, I think a lot of the imagery uh, that we have of Jesus and even in the Christian life is that we die in our sins in Christ and we're raised in the power of the Spirit to live in a way that's honoring to Him. But notice here, it actually gives Him the ability to stand in God's presence. Where He felt face down, He fell face down in a, in a place of inferiority, in a place maybe of fear, in a place of shame, of I'm not worthy of God. Now that I've seen Him face to face, I realize that I'm not who I maybe thought I was. But notice that he says, stand up, and he gives him the power. So why do we fall? We fall sometimes because God gives us the awareness of who we are and where we stand in relation to him. We fall down because we realize that we are not worthy. And the reason we aren't worthy is... Other reasons why we fall is that we choose things that are apart from God, things maybe that are even good in the world that, that we replace God with. We fall for many reasons. Notice that there's a difference. There's two different things that we can look at. We fall or we stumble or we sin in certain things that we do in our actions and the way we think, the things that we, that we make mistakes in. But notice that falling in this particular passage is the realization that God is God and we are not. That Ezekiel cannot stand in his presence. 
I think it's good to focus on the two things. What is, what is it about us that causes us not to be holy, that causes us not to live up to our standards, our sins, our choices? But it's also good to focus on what makes us fall before God in the sense of recognizing Him. What is it about Him in your life that you aren't recognizing that, that should cause you to submit or to understand who he is better in relation to ourselves. Why we fall. But once we fall, once we're in that place maybe of understanding that he is God and we are not, or maybe in a sense of understanding of how we sin or fall short in our lives, why do we stay down if we know the truth, if we've been given the truth, especially as Christians? If we are Christians, we have the Spirit of God that allows us to discern where we fall better. And it also allows us to discern better where God is above us. But with, if that's the case, why do we stay down? Why do we stay in our sin? Why do we stay maybe in the same complacent place after we've come to understand who God really is as we recognize His power? And I think sometimes it's because we're cowering. You see, Ezekiel was scared. He was in the presence of God and it caused him to stay on the ground and worship. But I think he was feeling inadequate, unworthy, as many prophets do when they experience God's face, his presence. Maybe that's you in today's scenario. You love God. You think it's true, the gospel. You appreciate and, and see the, the value of Jesus but maybe you're scared. Maybe you're scared of what God thinks of you. Maybe you're concerned that what you did last week or what you did yesterday or what you did years ago or what, what happened in your life in the past is too powerful. It's too strong. It has too much of a control over you or your family or whatever it is in your life that it has control over. That it's not something that God has the power to fix. Or to cause you to stand when you feel that you are in a place of inferiority. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe we have this other side of, of people who are, who are constantly on their knees worshiping God. That they fail to realize that there is a calling to stand up and to administrate that blessing to the world. Not to say that worshiping God is bad, that there's some that have a, well, I have this relationship with God, but it doesn't necessarily affect my relationships with other people, which is not the gospel as well. Why is it that we stay down? Sometimes we're afraid of God, and sometimes maybe we're afraid of other people, despite the fact that we love God. How do we stand? Well, it says the Spirit of God raised him, the same Spirit that raised Jesus. But he says in verse 3, I'm sending you to the Israelites, a rebellious nation, people that probably wouldn't listen, people that probably wouldn't care much about the message or the mercy or the agenda of God. He says they were a rebellious nation. And notice that they were the select nation that God was going to move through. He took them out through the exodus, out of their slavery. He blessed them. He took them to the, the mountain of Sinai. He gave them this law and said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm with you. Just follow me and recognize who I am. Don't fall in the sins that you used to fall in, but also fall down and understand who I am as God. And we see throughout the story that the Israelites consistently fail both of these things. So much so that God says himself, they're rebellious, they're rebels. They revolt to this very day, verse 3 says. They're obstinate, they're stubborn. It's very, very easy to read the Old Testament, and especially these stories about Israel as a collective unit. But are we? Are we obstinate? Are we stubborn? Are we rebels? Are we so happy with our sins and, and unwilling to give them up? Are we so afraid of our sins that, that God is not powerful enough to fix them? 
Are we so safe in our homes that maybe we love God and are committed to God, but we aren't committed to his agenda in the world? Are we stubborn? And can we be stubborn still if we are sent by God, if we really are to be sent by God into the world as Christians, as Jesus did, as he sent his own disciples? Who are we? Who are we to give this message of hope to the world if we, are too, if we too are still sinful and stubborn? And that gets to what God wants to do, which is the, the majority of this passage, I think. He says in verse 5, whether they listen or not, they will know a prophet is among them. I think some of the shame that we have, or at least the inadequacy that we feel, or the feeling that people won't understand the gospel because maybe we're not articulate, that was definitely the case in Moses' life. He says, I, I stumble in speech. Maybe he had a lisp or a stuttering problem. What, we don't know what it is. But he says, I, I'm not fit for this. When Isaiah is called, he, he says, who am I? Who am I to be sent? When Jonah gets called, he runs away because he doesn't actually want them to, the Ninevites, to turn to God. Ezekiel's probably thinking the same thing. Who am I to be sent? I'm still sinful. I still feel inadequate in the eyes of God. I don't feel like I've arrived yet. All of us, I think, have this sense of Maybe it's in our jobs. They call it imposter syndrome, where you may have a job for years and years and years, but deep down you feel that you're not adequate to do it, even though you might be. And the person across from you is probably thinking the same thing about themselves, but we're so concerned about what other people think that we're all thinking about what other people think instead of maybe resting in the fact that we have experience or we can do this, but who can do this? And look what he says here. It's so important for us to learn, and it's something that I, I still struggle with when I think of my own calling in my life. He says, whether they listen or not, they will know that a prophet is among them. And this is what I think what he's saying. He's saying your role as a messenger of God, as a prophet, or even as a follower of Jesus, is not to make people change. It's not through your eloquence. It's not through your ability to get them to hear you. What your responsibility is, is to let them see that you have been changed. A prophet is someone who speaks the word of God in the, in the text, in the, in the, in the Hebrew stories. They're never perfect. No one is ever perfect. In fact, some of the, the people that God calls to be prophets are the worst among the people that should be chosen. He says it's not your responsibility whether they listen. It's your responsibility to be the mouthpiece. Now, that doesn't mean that people can be hypocrites. We've seen plenty of those on the news, people who claim to be followers of Christ, who maybe have a big following or big influence in the world or the Christian world, and then they fall because of hidden sins maybe decades in the past or ongoing things, and we know that that's hypocrisy. But what do we emphasize? Do we emphasize them believing or us being aware of our sins returning to the gospel and being aware of who God is. In this case, falling on our face in worship, understanding who God is and where we stand in relation to him. Because if we don't think of, if we think of it the opposite way, not our own personal responsibility and how we live, but if we just focus on what our agenda is or what our mission is, you see we lose track of who we are. If we focus on our job and the task God gives us, it, comes, it becomes a work-based thing where we have to accomplish what God has for us instead of being who God wants us to be, instead of experiencing the change that God has for us in our daily lives, even in the insignificant things. So he says, don't be afraid. 
and verse 6. Don't be afraid because you're going to be surrounded by briars and thorns, things that stick and hurt and, and cause us to be slow navigating maybe through brush or, or trees. Don't be afraid even though you're going to be surrounded and living among scorpions. Do you have scorpions in your life? People at work? People that you deal with? Clients? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone that's really close to you. Do you have scorpions in your life? People that like to sting, that like to hurt, that bring you trouble. He says, don't be afraid of them, not because it's dangerous, it's, not, it's safe. It is dangerous. He's saying, don't emphasize whether your words and actions change them because scorpions are going to be scorpions. He says, focus on being a prophet. How do we do that? How do we focus on our own lives in terms of our righteousness before God through the gospel and in terms of how we treat scorpions because of what God's done in our life? How can we not be afraid? See, because we, 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 we know ways how we've individually fallen and maybe there's unique ways that we stay down and don't get up. But if the gospel is true and it has raised us and given us the power to do this thing that's impossible, which is namely be aware of who God is consistently, be aware of our sin and seek forgiveness instead of hiding, and then go into the world as a prophet does and seek to live a life that's worthy of him, not focusing on the results that we get, but on the process and the actions that we do on a daily basis. How can we not be afraid He says focus on being a prophet instead of whether they listen. Verse 7, you must speak my words to them. That's an imperative. That's a command. Regardless of response, he's already told them that they're rebellious. He's already told them, I personally, God, have spoken to them on the mountain. Of course they're not going to listen to you. They don't listen to me. Why would they listen to Ezekiel if he's just a man? Why would the Israelites listen to Moses when he says, I'm here to rescue you? He's just a man. Why would they listen to a man if they don't listen to God? And he says, because it's important that you speak my words. It's important that you go because I've chosen you to be a mouthpiece. And sometimes it's not about the people who listen, but it's about the person who's sent. I think about that in your own life. I've tried to think about this in my own. And it's really, really hard because when you think about those scorpions in your life, you think, well, maybe God is sending me to change a scorpion. And really sometimes God is sending you into a house of scorpions so you'll be changed. So he calls us not to be afraid. Because what we're afraid of, what we, we are afraid of what's going to happen to us when we're in a, a room of scorpions. God says whatever happens there, even though it's painful, even though it may be uncomfortable, maybe even it's something that you don't want to experience. It's something that changes you into being more like Christ because it reminds us where we fail. When we're in a room of scorpions, sometimes we turn into a room of scorpions. And that's important. It's important to realize that. It's important to understand where we fall short. That's how teachers work. They point out flaws and they allow us to grow where we're weak. The room of scorpions teaches us. But it also reminds us that we belong on the ground in terms of where we stand with God. It reminds us that he's raised us beyond what we used to be. He's given us the power to, to live in a way that's different. To remember where we were and to remember where we're going and what God has done in between. It causes us not to be afraid when we enter into these scenarios. Speak my words, regardless of what they, how they respond. And he calls them again, you son of man. Verse 8, listen to what I say to you. It's easy to overlook a phrase like this. 
Not just understand the information, but listen, hear, know, meditate, understand what I've said. Do not rebel like that house. Don't be like the people that you're going to. The chosen people of God that have turned on God. Don't be like them. Don't be a rebel. Listen to me, please. You can, you can almost sense the, the urgency and in, in the intimacy in his voice. Please don't go where you want to go or where you might naturally go. So how does he not become a rebel? Once God raises us and gives us this power, how do we not turn into what we used to be? And he says, open your mouth and eat what I give you. And what he gives him in, in verse 9, a hand is stretched out. Maybe it's the hand of God or a messenger or an angel hands him this scroll. A scroll that he didn't know, an information that he didn't have before. Sometimes when I, when I read the, the Bible, I'm like, I don't really agree with this. I don't like this part. I don't like hearing this particular passage, or I think that that's offensive or out archaic. And the truth is, is that if I agreed with everything in the Bible, I wouldn't need it. I wouldn't need to be told anything from the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to tell me something that I don't think is true. It's to tell me something that I need to know. So we have a hand that's stretched out. He says, how can I not be a rebel, God? He says, be willing to be taught. He hands him a scroll, and not only does he give him a scroll, but he opens the scroll and allows Ezekiel to read it. But notice that he says, don't just study it and know it. Eat it. Digest it. Take it into you. Make it a part of your life, a part of your system, a part of your experience. Notice that it's not just knowledge. It's something that he eats as, as sustenance, as food gives us energy, food gives us ability, food gives us power and strength where we're weak. In order for us to not to be rebels, we have to be able and willing to listen to what God is saying. And again, it reminds us where we fall short, where we fall, but it also reminds us where our place truly is in response to God. And that should be in submission to Him, understanding who He is and who we are. On this scroll that He eats, it says both sides are written on, which wasn't rare in the ancient world because you save space. And, scripts and, and manuscripts were expensive. He says, on both sides written are words of lament, mourning, and woe. Now, why would God want to teach us something that sounds so negative, lament or mourning and woe? And it's because it's the story of Israel. It's the story of you. It's the story of me. It's the story of our daily lives. And that is we are constantly and sometimes actively going against God. And it leads to something that is not good. Even if we focus on things that we do or enjoy that, that are maybe beneficial in the world's eyes. Maybe a good job, maybe money, maybe your family, your hobbies. Or maybe it's something that's wicked that, that, that you don't want to talk about or you wouldn't tell a stranger that you do privately. We turn things into God and it leads us to lament or sadness, mourning, loss, woe, destruction, evil. The reason we fall down. You see, God wants to tell us about the reasons why we fall down. He wants to expose these things to us. And sometimes as Christians, he sends us into our own scorpions to reveal those things. But the same reasons that cause us to fall down in our sin 
the hardships that we face, maybe it's a tendency, maybe it's a way that we were raised or something that's happened to us that affects the way we think, whatever it is that causes us to fall down and to, and to feel shame and sinfulness and, and to feel like we're inadequate, those are the very same things that should motivate us to worship. Sometimes I think, how do I muster up this emotion or inspiration to seek God or to worship God or to pray a lot or to read my Bible or to be encouraged about God? And the truth is, is that I can't just muster up that desire. But when I start to think about where I used to be and how I used to live and the things that I've gone through in my own personal life, and maybe you can think about the things that, that have happened in your life, it should lead us to gratitude, it should lead us to where we've fallen, but also where we can fall before God and say, thank you for what you've done. And the truth is, is that none of us, especially Ezekiel, or the other prophets, we too, we cannot go to a rebellious world and expect to change what they think in our own power. In the same way that we couldn't miraculously change our own life before Christ, God gives us the power and He causes us to stand. And He will do that sometimes through us and other people's lives. But what's most important is not what, how they listen or how they respond to us, but whether we are true prophets. And what that means is, is not that we hold up this image of ourselves, that we're all put together, that we, that we don't fail, that, that we consistently do X, Y, and Z, and we don't act like the other people in the world, and we're not like them, because that's hypocrisy. The truth is, we know that we are like them. And the Bible consistently tells us that we are. But the way that we stay within the fold, the way we stay within this, this people of God that isn't rebellious but actually is actively moving towards God and seeking God and enjoying God and loving God and each other. The way that we do this is that we have to listen to what God says, to consume the message, whether that's the biblical text whether that's the, the spirit-filled advice of a friend that's, 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 that's challenging us to turn from what we're going towards. It's spending time in prayer, listening. He says, open your mouth and eat what I've given you. As we close... It's important to know why we fall. It's important to understand what causes us to fall in our lives, that causes us pain, our self-destructive nature. But it's also important to understand why we need to fall before Christ in worship. And sometimes those things are related. Most of the times those things are related. But we also have to understand that it's the power of the Spirit. In the same way with Ezekiel, it is with us. He gives us the Spirit to rise above that, to resurrect, which is why Jesus uses this Son of Man image. Because He is the ultimate Son of Man, the one who has died, who was raised, and given this great blessing of not just God's love and inheritance, but the ability to rule. Do you see yourself as a son of man, a son of Christ? He wants to give you that power, and if you're a Christian, he has given you that power. But when we go into a, a room or a, a world full of scorpions, maybe it's an office or maybe it's just the street that we walk down, the most important thing is that we remain true to God in our message and in our lives. The results are not what God is most important or considers most important for us. That's his responsibility. Regardless of what they say. And how do we do that? We stay in communion with God. We digest and consume what he's given us, whether that's through scripture or through Christian community. In an honest way. Otherwise, we're just playing a game and we're moving towards lament and mourning and woe. And we forget the message that 
The gospel is meant to change us into people that are different. Not on our own power, but on his power. Amen. This is a beautiful, a beautiful picture of, of the Christian life in just a few verses. We take time after the sermon, a time of silence for reflection and prayer. And I encourage you to focus on one of these things. Whether where you fall short, what you're not recognizing in God, maybe your own emphasis on what you should be doing instead of grace. Maybe you need to pray for the scorpions in your life to see the value of Christ, to see him through you. Or maybe there's another part of your life. Maybe you are not digesting what God's given you. Maybe you aren't spending time with him. Whatever it is, there's so many different parts of this text that are so beneficial for us to think about. I encourage you to think about one or maybe two. Whether it's gratitude or confession or a, or a sincere request. Let's take uh, a minute to privately say these things before him. And then we will stand together and say the Apostles' Creed. Please stand and join me in saying the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you. Christ, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us through your death and resurrection. We thank you that you call us not to be perfect, but to seek you and to live in your strength and to follow you in ways that we know best. God, please allow us to understand you more. And we pray, God, that we would rest more in your salvation and what you say we are than what the world says about us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we thank you for the, the recent decline in, in cases, COVID cases in Vilnius and Lithuania. We pray for the ongoing efforts of medical staff and first responders. God, we pray for our politicians in the midst of uh, neighboring countries and, and conflict that we see that threaten Lithuania. God, we pray that, that you would protect this country, that you would lead her in peace and justice and wisdom and that, that People would see the value 
of the things that you have taught us and that those values and those things would be applied to the way people lead here and abroad. God, we thank you for, for freedom and we thank you that, that we are able to worship freely and to understand uh, you amongst a, a public community. And we praise you for what you are doing through this community and what you will do in the future. And we remember what you've done in the past. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And lastly, God, we pray for those who are, are traveling, who are away from us, who would normally be here, or people who are abroad, or people who have had to leave to work. We pray for those who are leaving us. We pray that you would bless them immensely. And at this time, specifically Dimitri, we pray that you would be with him as he goes. We pray that you would give him strength and courage and that you would allow him to enjoy a new chapter in his life. God, we continually pray for Willie uh, in his back. We pray for his family. And we, we ask that uh, you would be with him in his healing. Lord God, we lastly pray for our world, our world that seems full of scorpions, especially scorpions with power. And we pray that there would be peace. We pray that there would be justice. And we're thinking of, of, of war and we're thinking of, of atrocities against groups of people, disasters, natural disasters such as California and fires and famine in Yemen and Ethiopia and places that desperately need you, God. We pray that you would show mercy to us and we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our last hymn this morning is Holy, 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 hymn 113. If you'd stand and sing.
receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.